Hello, happy Tuesday. Welcome to Canucks Talk here happy on Tuesday. Sportsnet 650. Speak for yourself. Hey, I'm always, always in a good mood. Uh, Drancer, it is Canucks Talk. I'm Jamie Dodd. The other voice there is Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Drance, it almost sounds like you think there might be reason for people in the Canucks orbit to not be having a happy Tuesday. No, I mean... <laughs> It's awful. <laughs> it's terrible out. It's a deluge. Like this is one yeah, of those. Yeah, but it's Vancouver. Vancouver. Yeah, I, I know, like, but it's I like one the of those. Rain. It's one of those Vancouver days where eleven p. eleven a.m. feels like six p.m. Yeah, it's just the same. It's gonna be day. nice this afternoon. The good thing about Vancouver, I have a bunch of lies about the rain in Vancouver that I tell myself. One okay. of them is one of them is uh, there's no such thing as bad clothes or bad weather, just bad clothes. That's okay. a lie that I tell myself. Okay. And here's another one. That it, is a blatant, blatant lie. And, but anyways, and here's another one that I tell myself. It never rains. All day. That's also a blatant, blatant lie. I told you there are blatant <laughs> lies that I tell myself day, yeah. to feel better. See, I just enjoy the rain. No, I like see, the rain. It's important to have blatant lies that you tell yourself to feel better. And Canucks fans can relate, right? Every year, it's going to be different. Look at this young core, right? Look at this playoff race is on. 106-point pace. Didn't take long, right? It didn't take long for this to just be a dispiriting slog. Like, we're already there. We know that this team's going to do better. Over the balance of the season. Right now, I see that they're behind the Chicago Blackhawks in point percentage. Newsflash, not going to finish behind the Chicago Blackhawks. But, man, to see that team. And and I know the focus this morning is on blowing the lead. Mm-hmm. I'm really sick of that. The Canucks didn't play well enough to have a lead. They were fortunate to have a lead. The only reason they led was that Thatcher Demko stole two periods worth of hockey. And the Canucks had some fabulous conversion luck. Early in the third period. They scored on three of five, five on five shots in the first five to seven minutes of the third period. That's it. Opportunistic finishing, which is indecipherable from luck at a level like this. And Thatcher Demko stealing 40 minutes worth of the game. That's why they led. Like, they didn't deserve to lead at any point in that game. They got outplayed, outworked. And here's the most disappointing thing. With Bruce Boudreaux opting for a hard match. Between JT Miller, Bo Horvat, and a rotating cast of Garland and Besser because mm-hmm. it wasn't working. Garland to start, then Besser to finish. And OEL and Bear on the back end. So right now, off the hop, we're talking about a $56 million forward liability that the team just committed seven years to, plus a five uh, a five more years worth of Ekman Larson. So 35. Literally, they threw $100 million. At Jack Eichel last night, and oh boy, it was ugly. Like it well, was so ugly. The Canucks got torn apart at the top of the lineup. How do you how do you sugarcoat that? How do you polish that? And not only was it Miller and Oliver Ekman Larson, it was also Miller and Bo Horvat, where those are supposed to be you know, the theory of this team was Demko and then our three guys down the middle. And you've already had to pair up. Horvat yeah. and Miller, because that, Miller wasn't getting it done at, at, at the center. That bet Anyways. lasted two weeks. The JT Miller as a long-term center and opting for him over Bo Horvat bet, and he's going to be just as motivated after signing a long-term contract? Like, I don't know. 
I'm not seeing that. Are you seeing that? No. Inbox, let me know. Are you seeing that? Like, one of the things you have to be so careful about when you sign these long-term contracts are, you know, are you betting on the right people? Canucks got outworked last night. And, like, the guys at the top of the list as on watch are the guys making the most money for the most term. You know? Well, the guy's currently making the most money and the guy who is setting himself up to make long-term money either here or The guy they've committed the most money to, period. Right? Like, the guy who's got the most money committed. I mean, that's tough. Like, that's galling. You know, you wonder why Jim Rutherford stood up. (laughs) I don't. That makes perfect sense to me. (laughs) I wonder what the Canucks ownership suite looked like. You know, I mean, I know that this organization has a limitless capacity for wasting money on bad players. But at some point, this is just hard to watch. Like, that was hard to watch. The Canucks were so outclassed. They had no answer for Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, Chandler Stevenson. They had the game on a string. And by the time they scored for the second game winner of the period, (laughs) the first one disallowed. Yeah. Alex Pietrangelo, I mean, how, how close was the closest Canuck to him that wasn't Thatcher Demko? Three feet? About that. Something like that. Could a could a seven-year-old child have lie, lay down and stretched out and touched a Canucks checker? I don't think so. Like, legitimately, my niece is not very tall. She could have lay down. And there wouldn't have been a Canucks checker. Within touching distance of where Alex Pietrangelo stood in the low slot, right on the tip of the blue paint, to score on Thatcher Demko, and then and then people want to blame Thatcher Demko, <laughs> as if as if the game, the only reason they ever had a chance to win was Thatcher Demko. And there was oh, here's the thing that game highlighted so much of what is wrong with the Canucks right now, right? Starting with the Miller Horvat line and Oliver Ekman Larson getting completely outclassed and dominated by the Flambade. Can we go with flambe? Sure, like, you I don't can. know. Go Let's go it. with the. Go nuts. There's, um, there's not an adjective harsh enough to come up with. It was brutal. It was really, really brutal. I think Miller was out against Eichel for like 15 even strength minutes. Like, yeah. But Boudreau never went away from it. It was it was that all well, night. And what's going on there? I mean, at what point do you have to see JT Miller sputter defensively? And look, I mean, I'm not even blaming him necessarily. I mean, I am, but I'm not blaming him necessarily for this this stat I'm about to give you. JT Miller's now been on the ice for the most goals against of any forward in the NHL, all situations. So it doesn't help that the Canucks penalty kill's been brutal, mm-hmm. right? But the Canucks have a guy who's literally picking his teeth with everybody as a two-way piece in Elias Pettersson. Like, the time has come. There is no reason why Elias Pettersson shouldn't be Vancouver's first choice matchup centerman every night out. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like, you know, there's nights where it might not. Pedersen might go up against Eichel and lose. That's fine. I just know that that's their better bet. Again, why does this team insist on playing with an arm tied behind their back? Like, why do you insist on building a team with this much bad money committed to this many old players? Why do you insist on scheduling days off based on a coach's gut feel as opposed to a, you know, well-researched, <laughs> well-examined data set provided by a human performance department the way 25 other NHL teams, including all the good ones, would do? 
Why? 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 Like, what? What? What's the reason for this? Is there a sole reason why this organization can't get anything right? And and make no mistake, can't get anything right. Other than I guess, if you want to say goaltending, you can. But boy, that's looking tough right now. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the goaltending because um, this text comes in. I've seen a lot of responses like this, right? This this unsigned texter says, "If Thatcher makes a couple of saves, we come away with a four-three win did. last night." Hold on. There's no way people are talking as negatively today. Yes, poor defense, but the goalie cost us that one. Wow. He was excellent through two periods. And then uh, you, you you can't even use the you got he has to make a save in the third period. A minute into the third period when it's 2-1, he robs Mark Stone. Absolutely robs, robs Mark yep. Stone. Bo Horvat goes back the other way and ties it up. He He gave them the save. He gave them the save that they needed to stay in that game and have an opportunity to tie it up. And take the lead. He had the puck handling error. He did. Okay, so he has, that's one. But let's go through the goals that happened after that, right? The carrier goal that makes it 4-3. <laughs> where, where there's literally two Vegas Golden Knights behind him. Third, the- <laughs> third chance. So, yeah, yeah, you can say, well, he spilled two rebounds, but they're on kind of screened or, you know, in close shots or whatever. That's going to yeah. happen. If you're giving the other team three whacks at the puck from the blue paint – Goalie's probably not going to save you on that one. Riley Smith goal. Again, okay, you can say, oh, you know, he's got to seal it, whatever. He's whacking away at the puck right in the crease. The Vegas player is right in the crease, not being cleared out. It was his bad puck handling decision. It was. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't like that goal. So that's one. Here's the thing, though. Like, look around the NHL right now. Look at the best teams. Look at their goaltenders. You think Linus Allmark... Pound for pound, shot for shot, assuming equal environments is as good as Thatcher Demko? Nope. You think Alexander Georgiev or Pavel Francouz is as good as Thatcher Demko? Nope. I mean, teams, Mackenzie Blackwood and (laughs) Vanacek, they've Mm -hmm. won 13 in a row. Are they as good as Thatcher Demko? Zero percent chance. You know, blaming the goalie is loser stuff. And that's what losing fans do. When they can't justify or accept how bad their team is. Like, that's the best teams at this point are not even spending on goalies. Carolina, they're just bringing in guys. They're treating them like fantasy RBs. <laughs> it's like, whatever, pick up another guy. Completely fungible. It's, uh, in the, it's the environment. This is, there's no way to win. There's no way to win behind a team playing defense like this. Mike, no way. Mike from White Rock says, it's dumbfounding that people blame Demko. Every goal, including the disallowed goal, was shot from point blank. I've seen more resistance from turnstiles than what the Canucks D wow. gave Vegas. That's, and, and here's the thing. They lived. say things about turnstiles we can't take back. <laughs> they lived, what? I don't even want to say in the home plate area. They lived closer than that. <laughs> like, not even on the doorstep. In the house. They were in the crease. <laughs> they were subletting. They were subletting Thatcher Demko's apartment. Because even that Mark Stone goal that's disallowed. And again, you can say, well, that's a, a rebound in a really dangerous area. That's fair. Sure, it is. Mark Stone's also one of three Vegas players that beat any Canucks player to the puck. Three. Three of them got there before any Canucks player di- was able to even get close. So if you're going to give up, and then there's the Petrangelo goal where, again, they get dissected and he's all alone in front of net. So it's an east, east-west passing play, and Petrangelo has all the time in the world in front of the net. If you give up those chances with consistency, you can have the greatest goaltender of all time, and some of them are going to get passed. You, can't, you cannot expect your goalie to say, oh, well, he just needed a save. He just needed a save on one of those five grade-A opportunities. 
we gave up in the third period. You're not going to get that game in, game out. Contrast, contrast the Canucks goals with the Vegas goals and how much harder Vegas had to work to earn their goals. Right? Like, Elias Pettersson, nice shot, nice chance, right? Well created. But it hits the post and comes right back to him. That's only happened to you once every 50 games. Right? Bo Horvat, that was a hard-working goal, right? He, he needed two great chances to score. He got the second. Like, that was that was a really good goal. But, I mean, what were the other goals? Like, the, the one that Luke Shen scored that just sort of, like, deflects off, off some glove. players. Yep. Like, I, I mean, Vancouver's goals were way more fortunate than what Vegas got. Well, if you just look at, you know, like, goals saved above or, uh, above or below expected, the Canucks got the better goaltending last night. By a lot. By a lot. Logan Thompson was off. Now, nothing Logan Thompson does is pretty. That's the M.O. He's got... <laughs> no, seriously, that's the M.O. That's okay, by the way. I have no problem with that. I've always been a big fan of James Reimer. Right? James Reimer is, like, technically one of the ugliest goalies in the league. But go through his career, guy just stops pucks. Guy's just, he, he's a big-bodied guy. He stops pucks. Does it look good? No. <laughs> Does it matter? Also, no. That's who Logan Thompson is. He wasn't good last night. The Canucks got a dog performance from... A visiting goaltender. And, like, once the game was tied, there was no suspense. Like, did Vancouver oh, even no. have a notable scoring chance thereafter? No, and I know, um, you know, even after, I think it was 5-4, Demko stops uh, Chandler Stevenson on a partial break. Yep. The Golden Knights hit the posts in, like, what, within three seconds of each other? Again, when the Canucks should theoretically be pressing and trying to get the, killer, the tying goal. Killer act of robbery from Elias Pettersson. Yes, that's true. Um, so, yeah, I mean, not good. But he, but here's the worst part for me. Vancouver scores to take the lead. Vegas takes, like, two minutes to find their game. Boom, boom. 30 seconds later, they're yeah. up, right? Well, it's, it, it's Vancouver takes a two-goal lead. How long did it take Vegas to answer? 30 seconds? Like, this was very much a pat-on-the-head performance from a superior team that knew they didn't have to work that hard but still outworked the Canucks anyway. They just turned it on when they needed to, and it was like they, the Canucks were easily brushed aside. Once again, the Brussels sprouts as opposed to the main. And it's the exact opposite of what we see from the Canucks over and over and over again, right? Where Vegas gets down and there's, okay, yeah, we're fine. Don't worry. We're just going to play our game and we'll get right back into it. When things go against the Canucks, it always spirals. It always snowballs. It always, oh my goodness, now we're really in trouble. And they lose the plot and the game goes completely yeah. sideways and, from them. And look, I didn't like Miller and Horvat head-to-head against Jack Eichel. But that was not on Boudreaux. This is not on Boudreaux. No. Uh, th actually, <laughs> it's not. I'm sorry. It, like, this is not structural in my mind. This is a overmatched team, a bunch of players that do not fit together, a bunch of good players whose skill sets do not collectively result in a team capable of winning consistently in the NHL. <laughs> this is a team that doubled down on the wrong personalities and the wrong players and have only made the mess and the cleanup. It's like it's like it's like 6 a.m. Okay, the Canucks are at a party. It wasn't even that good a party. And now someone has to clean up. And it's like it wasn't even that fun. Like no one met their future wife here. No one's talking about this party in five years. Uh, 
This was just a Friday night. I want on this on the subject it of sucks. coaching structure, et cetera. I want to play back a clip from Luke Shen last night. And look, I know <laughs> fans don't always have the most appetite to hear from the players after a loss like this because we've heard so many of the same things over and over and over uh, from the players on this team over the last few years. But I do think this one is worth uh, playing back from Luke Shen talking about the team getting outworked in critical areas last night. Inexcusable. I mean, uh, there's literally. <laughs> It's it's not nothing to do with systems or what the coaches are telling us. It comes down to battle and compete, and you know we're we're getting out muscled and out battled in front of the net and in the blue paint. And you look at pretty much every goal tonight. Maybe maybe one or two not, but uh, on both sides. But every goal scored further on the blue paint. So got to be a lot harder there. And you know we we practiced all the time for whatever reason. Um, got you know everyone just needs to to be better uh, in in front of Denver there, and and that's where where games are won and lost. That was Luke Shen last night, and I was going through, and all of the goals really come from right in front, right in the high danger area uh, against Thatcher Demko, and he's talking about it there as well, saying the team is getting outcompeted, the team's getting outmuscled, they're just not strong enough in that area. All true, from what I can tell, and the thing that you know we talked about this yesterday, just the idea: does this team have any interest in really competing together? Right, because we can go through all the the flaws from a roster construction point of view and look at it and say, you know what, this team doesn't move the puck well enough from the back end, that means they're going to get hemmed in their zone a lot. And That's that true. true. That's 100% true. But whatever the problems of, of the roster or the talent level are, you can always compete. You can always try yeah. hard. You can always do the things that Luke Shen is talking about there, which – Again, are independent from systems, independent from coaching. No NHL player needs a coach to tell them to protect the front of the net, to tell them to try to box out their man, to tell them to try to clear the front of the net, clear a rebound. You don't need coaching to tell you that. You all know what you're supposed to do. They just haven't been able to do it. And I think that, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about why the team is flawed, the structural issues, the systems issues, the personnel issues, all of that. Last night, that was the thing that stood out to me more than anything all. They just let... Vegas live in front of the net all night and there didn't seem to be any will any serious will to push back and stop it from happening and if if you're not doing that you're you're it's over you're you're hosed if you can't even do that on a night to night basis <laughs> yeah correct and not not just a night to night basis a full season basis right like if you have a team that can't outcompete their opponents you don't have a team worth betting on. Period. Like, how do you think you win game 62-63? Now, are there teams that are good enough that they learn how to put it in cruise control? That they learn how to manage their energy levels over the course of a full season? The way we're going to see Tampa Bay do, where they're a completely different team until the playoffs this year? Like, yeah, for sure. But to get there, you need to have this work rate. That's through the roof. And by the way, that's not just at practices. It's at games. It's in the gym. It's over the summer. It's all consuming. I I have no idea how anyone can watch this team play or watch this team practice and think they have it. And that that's what's been driven home. So very, very – what are we, 19 games in now? Yeah, and a, and a coach – here's the thing. A coach is not going to make a lick of difference. Like, that has to come from the room, right? Rick Bonus, I love that quote. Right. The uh, bad teams are led by no one. Uh, good teams are led by coaches. Great teams are led by players. Right. That's it. It's got to come internally. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem to be at the moment. 
which makes the decisions of this past summer to double down on this group that much more frustrating. And, you know, so so we look ahead. Colorado on Wednesday, defending champs. Defending cup champs. And, I- then, and then you go to Vegas again. And, you know, this team's scoring a lot. It's not going to continue. This is not an elite offensive team. The one thing that's going right for them is a mirage, a lie. But don't believe me. I'm only the guy who tells you this when the team's racking up the 106-point pace season. So go ahead. Call me an idiot. I'm right. This is an average offensive team at best with a great power play. They're not going to score four goals every game. So if they don't clean it up, this is going to get even uglier, right? Like what we're seeing now, at least the absolute edge of the cliff is blunted by the fact that this team's on an unsustainable heater goal scoring wise, not going to continue along those lines. This text came in earlier in the show. Uh, what date do you start changing your mind about how the Canucks could finish? For instance, if they're still fourth worst in points percentage in January, do you think they'll pull out of it? I, I think for me, more than just how long it goes on, it's going to be, do we see any sort of roster moves, right? Like, does this team look the same in January as it does now? Is it, or is it less talented? Uh, is is there, is Bo Horvat still around, right? Is Luke Shen still around? Is Andre Kuzmenko still around? Any of those any of those possibilities are out there, right? And they all change what this team looks like. I don't know. I mean, somebody else texted in, uh, you know, I only wish to point out that uh, despite Drance's insistence that the Canucks will finish above Chicago in league standings, I remember similar insistence that there was absolutely no way Ottawa would, f- would finish, or sorry, Vancouver would finish below Ottawa in the North Division. So people are already out here thinking, you know, hey, could hey, this happen? That There was no chance until the outbreak. You know, I mean... So, yeah, I mean, could could an act of God change it? Yes. Would I be stunned? I would be. And when do we change our mind? Pretty soon. Pretty soon. I mean, here's the thing. The Canucks' five-on-five form and their defensive permissiveness overall are trending toward bottom five in the league. Very, very clearly. Now, I think that underrates who they are. I think they are better than that. I don't think JT Miller suddenly forgot how to drive play, right? I just don't. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't. I don't. I don't know if he's checked all the way in right now, except on the power play. But but I don't think he's not a good two way player. Suddenly at the age of twenty nine, I don't think he's fallen off a cliff. So, I still think this team is going to be. You know, somewhere between the 18th and 22nd best team. Uh, my priors, my priors on that are not yet abu- like I'm not divorced from those priors yet. That's what I believe this team is. Uh, I, you know, that's going to require them being what a 95 point pace team the rest of the way. So I still think we're going to see wins. I won't be stunned if we see a win on Wednesday or on fr- on Saturday. On Saturday, like, I bet they'll take one of those two. I, I would th- I would expect the Canucks to take one of those two. But the seams of what this team is are visible, they're unflattering, and the only way you're going to be able to salvage this decade is with drastic action. Drastic action. The potential downside is becoming more real because it's the structural issues paired with the competitiveness issues, right? And that's what creates the ultimate, the the serious downside for me is if the team does just simply check out even more so than we saw 
last night, right? It, it just at the end of the day, though, they're like hanging around in that game, converting so efficiently. You know, the power play looked dangerous. I don't think they got a power play goal, but it looked really good. And I mean, Pedersen's picking his teeth with the opposition right now. Like he looks incredible. I liked the Amon line. You know, there's enough there. Demko had 40 minutes where it looked like, oh, his play on the rush. Like a lot of his game looked like it was back. Now, I'm not saying he was great last night. He certainly wasn't great in the third period. I thought he was really great for about 50 minutes, though. But uh, but it looked like he was on the right track. He's still going to steal this team weeks of games. Like there's going to be a 25 game stretch this season, I bet, where the team wins like it's like 15, seven and three. And people get excited in this market. Like, oh, they're closer, especially because it probably happened after they make a trade, you know, and someone will be like, oh, you know, man, that trade where they acquired, you know, Mike Jiminy. And he's like literally Mike Jiminy's like Ronald's cannons, like one of those quality fourth liners. Yeah. And it's going to be like, oh, he changed everything. Durant, stop looking at the numbers. Stop looking. Jiminy, he's changed this whole team's defensive outlook. It's going to be like, nope, Thatcher Demko's stopping 980 <laughs> of all shots faced. Stop. Like, that's still going to happen, man. We're still going to get that stretch. I believe that in my core. Still, to this day, I haven't seen enough to disabuse me of that. We'll see. We are. <laughs> we'll, We're going to we'll see. see it. It, We're wouldn't see it. Sh- it wouldn't shock me if we see it, but I'm also not counting on the it. The worst team I've ever watched, Ted Nolan's rebuilding for McDavid or tanking for McDavid Buffalo Sabres, won 12 of 13 in the month of December. And I said, I remember I wrote a column, and I said, this is still the worst team I've ever seen. And Buffalo Sabres beat writers got really mad at me, saying I needed to watch the games. I was completely ignoring the transformative impact of Mike Flynn, brought up from Rochester to play on the fourth line. I'd missed the work ethic that Mike Flynn had installed into the Buffalo Sabres. This year it's going to be Mike Jiminy in in Vancouver. We'll see. It's gonna happen. I'm not, I'm not so sure. I'm not, gonna not so sure about that one. Uh, six fifty, six going to happen is the Dunbar Lumber tax line. The smart alternative: visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Lots and lots of texts coming in. We'll read some of them on the other side. Uh, get you an update from Canucks practice today as well as they prepare to head out on the road. Harmon Dial will join us a little later in the show as well. Lots more coming up. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz, uh, live from the Kindex Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And the inbox is blowing up Frothing? today. As it has been a lot recently. Yeah, <laughs> An Canucks awful fans are mad. lot. They should be. Recently, yeah. And I'll just read a, a, a sampling uh, of them here just to get to get the mood of the text box and, and the fandom right now, or at least our listeners. Uh, this one unsigned. So when is Rutherford going to follow through in his comments to get the players attention after that disastrous road trip? I think that's a very, very fair uh, question to have. This one uh, comes in. Uh, I'm I'm sort of glad Demko is playing bad because it really highlights how bad the defense is. Management needs to trade Besser or Garland to start this 
rebuild. Another one. Unsigned. No sugarcoating it. Stop with the Band-Aids. Get the surgery done. This team is not winning a cup in the next five years. Trade everyone and completely rebuild. Uh, and then the last couple of ones here are all on the same theme. Dalvir says, how ugly does it need to get for management to actually acknowledge that a rebuild is the only correct course of action? And then last one, I wonder, unsigned. I wonder just how patient Rutherford can be at this point. And uh, as, as you get the sense just from those texts, patience running thin, certainly in the fan base, or at least our listenership right now, Drancer, and understandably so, but... What well, do you mean, but? Well, no, we, what, I, what mean, I was just going to say, we talked about it yesterday on the show, The Elliot Friedman reporting that not patience because they think this team is going to turn it around, but at least patience not to immediately go out and make some sort of move sure. as a direct response to it. Seems to be at least the mindset the Canucks management is in right now. No, no, no. The Any moves that get made should be made off of a sober assessment of this franchise's last eight years. <laughs> like, could you make a move to weaken this roster or to look to the future that would be a knee-jerk move? Is it possible? Like, as we haven't overreacted to a single moment of failure that this organization has had in a decade. We've only ever overreacted to bright, fleeting glimmers of hope, no? I mean, the knee-jerk move is, well, we really are the team we saw in the bubble. Let's trade all of these contracts that expire in 12 months for Oliver ekman Larson. Oh, well, we, we were a 106-point team, and JT Miller had 99 points despite never having crested 70 before in his career. Let's do a $56 million seven-year deal. Like, those are the knee-jerk reactions. Uh, Lacutus of Borg texts in. Is there any chance that there's some 5D chess going on where, no. the, goal, where the goal is to trade Miller and Rutherford is talking smack about systems to keep player value high, or am no. I going insane trying to rationalize the actions of this front office? You, you, yeah, <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, there's a world where you could have traded Miller as a very valuable chip. You just didn't, if you just didn't sign him. I'm not saying he would have gotten you the packages that maybe we were dreaming about on these very airwaves 12 months ago. Well, certainly 10 months ago. 10 months ago, anyways. Yeah, nine months ago. But. You know, there's no 5D chess. Once you sign that deal, you're pot committed. Like now, You don't sign that deal to trade them. You sign that deal because you want to keep them around long term. Now, maybe you reverse course and try to explore a trade. That's a possibility, but that, that wasn't your plan going into it. That's just not why you do deals like that. I'm not saying JT Miller, who, by the way, is still on pace for 40 goals, is a negative value asset. He's not. He's a very good player. But it's complicated. Now it's complicated. So, no, that's not what's happening. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, can I Can – I, I want to talk about three things I liked about the performance. Let's do time. it. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it up. Well, we have had a bunch of texts come in about Elias Pettersson. Okay. And I, I think it's worth pausing to talk about Elias Pettersson a little bit here. Elias Pettersson didn't just score a goal, and he didn't just set up another. And he didn't just have a really good – two-way game although it should be noted the William Carlson lines primary matchup was Neil Zaman the Jack Eichel lines primary matchup was Bo Horvat which means Patterson drove play at a dizzying extent but he did it against bottom six competition now I don't think that's a knock against him by any means he's still the only guy who seems to be able to make this work at five on five 
But I do want to see his comp ratchet up. He played great. The two saves, though, like a goal and assist and two saves. That's the new Elias Pettersson hat trick. <laughs> Pedersen, so Pedersen was a soccer goalie growing up. That's that's where he says he got the saves from. He wasn't he wasn't in a butterfly. He wasn't trying to mimic goal. Like it wasn't a soccer save, obviously. But he just knew that Jack Eichel was going to try and pass it. He said he told me post game. He was like, I read it. I knew he wanted to try and pass it, so I was just trying to get over. Um, but yeah, two saves. I like that. I like that a lot. Pedersen is going cooking with oil. He's well, having a great and it wasn't great just, it wasn't just last night. And somebody texted in, you know, he's not just their best offensive player. He's also become their best penalty killing forward and their best defensive player, their best defensive forward, their best two way forward. He's he's just so clear to, in a way their best everything right now and notably not even score he's producing on the power play he's getting assists hasn't scored a goal on the power play yet all of his production from in terms of goal scoring First is coming in the NHL. at five on five he's having what is he on pace for like 95 points yeah right now and that's on top of fantastic two-way uh results on top of being okay. a key okay. part of the power play okay. don't, on top don't, of penalty killing etc cetera, don't et cetera. gush too much this is a positive segment and if you gush too much I'm going to start bringing up the last lack of cost certainty <laughs> or the incredible waste that this team is 6-10-3 and three with a player doing this as a 23-year-old center. Gah! Anyway. Well, and not no, only no, that. No. but Seriously, with, no, no, you're no. going to upset me. But not only that, but with a guy who's, what, second in the league in scoring? In Bo Horvat? <laughs> yeah. And, okay, here's another thing I really liked. Quinn Hughes on the 4-2 goal that Vancouver scored Quinn Hughes jetted out it was like he was doing one of those um, Mario Kart turns like one of those drift turns sure you know like like straight up pink flames the power slide I want to say power slide but, yeah. but like the power slide where you get to the third level because you're cool enough to turn auto steering off in Mario Kart 8 and you get the pink flames out on your on your power slide like that's that move out from the wall up to the top of the point happened so fast and like legitimately, I'm in the press box. I gasped. Not a not one of those frustrated sighs that I so regularly have on these airwaves, but like a oh wow, oh wow. I was so impressed. I thought Quinn Hughes looked like himself, and I haven't said that very m many times this year. Right? He looked tired in those first four games. He looked a little worn down physically. We know he's missed some time. We know he's battled some sort of. Some some type of issue. It's undisclosed, but I'd, I'd imagine core or something like that. We know he's battled that. We know he was sick in, in the lead-up to the season. Uh, we know he's been overused. Last night, vintage Quinn Hughes. He looked fantastic, electric with the puck. And there were multiple sequences where he set up goals directly as a result of incredible, like, one-of-a-kind movement up high. I love watching it. Right there, there were moments in that game last night where I was reminded why it's fun to cover this team, and one of the things that's always fun to watch, worth the price of admission every time out. Quinn Hughes operate, operating from the blue line in, is just incredible, and I thought he was, at, you know, absolutely launching fireballs like he'd picked up the um to go back to my Mario references, <laughs> like he'd picked up the fire flower. Yes, yeah, he's um when he's on, he's always. Just an absolute treat. Super Mario? An absolute treat to Or watch. Super Mario? I think I would say Super Mario. Mario Lemieux or Mario Lemieux? Mario Lemieux. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Why? Is one right or one, is no, one no, wrong? No, no. They're both right in my opinion. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, but I'm maybe, shocked maybe... but you don't have a strong take on this. No. Maybe we'll hear, maybe we'll hear from some Mario sayers <laughs> yeah. in, the, uh, in the inbox. 
All right, third thing I liked. Sure, go. Dakota Joshua. You know what? Dakota Joshua, big miss for me in the preseason. I was not impressed. Me neither. I was not impressed in the preseason. I really like him as a fourth-line player. Sorry, neither was the organization. But Dakota Joshua, monster four-checker, absolute beast, played so well. He's got hands, too. He can can make a pass. He can make a play. Well, and he faked out Thompson behind the net to set up that Lazar goal. Like, he had a little head fake, and Thompson went the other way, and that's when he sent the pass out. That's a skilled play. That's a skilled play, but it was the four check at the half wall before before that se- like 33 seconds before that sequence where he just absolutely hounded. I can't remember the Golden Knights defender, but it was one of their good ones and forced that turnover and it was just brilliant, just absolutely brilliant four checking work. I, I was upset that it fell down the hole in the uh, Springfield mystery spot. <laughs> like, really, it's too bad that those 33 seconds of absolute forechecking excellence from Dakota Joshua ended up in the waste paper bin of history, uh, hockey history, because he was brilliant. I thought he had a great game. I thought that Amon line, the underlyings on the Amon line are terrible. They were bad. No, no, no. no and they're, they're overall, they're, they're bad. They're abysmal, but... Game in, game out, I like what I see. They passed the eye test for me. I, they're probably what, What's probably happening is Bruce Boudreaux's probably using them a bit too much. right? He's probably using them in that top four matchup role a bit too much with the idea that it frees up Patterson. Patterson and, you know, granted, that's kind of working. It's not unlike what Travis Green used to do with Jay Beagle. right? Mm-hmm. Beagle, remember Beagle Mott Schaller was always sicked on a top line so that the lotto line could just run havoc, run roughshod? over some poor sap third line. That's what Boudreaux's trying to do. It's not the worst play. It works. But anyway, I, if Amon, Joshua, and whomever, whether it's Lazar or Hoaglander or Bud Colson or ex-Energy Ford Lockwood, right? If they ever get like straight up fourth line deployment, I think those numbers will improve significantly. I've really liked what I've seen out of that combination. Because the other the other part of that deployment is, and it looks like this might changing, but might be changing. We'll get to the practice lines in a second here. But uh, they've been using drives as the third line center, so then that becomes a line that you have to shelter. Right, right. you're not going to use that in any sort of matchup role. So you want to shelter the Pedersen line, you want to shelter the drives line. You're forced into playing the Niels Amon line, uh, Niels Amon line, in some pretty tough. Uh, minutes against some tough competition. All right, I got one more. Oh, wow. You thought of a fourth one? I do. I have Look one at this. more. I have one more. Because you know what? I really enjoyed the game last night. I know Canucks. Well, I, know I mean, Canucks, the third period, just for pure entertainment value, was I, off It was a fabulous chart. It was just a fabulous game of hockey. Like, there, there was drama. There was speed. It was fun. I didn't know what was happening some of the time. Like, I was excited. <laughs> there were some really great individual performances. I got to watch Jack Eichel dissect. Uh, a, a, a permissive defensive team. I got to see Elias Pettersson do some incredible stuff. I got to see Quinn Hughes. You got to see Mark Stone. At the peak of his powers. and eh, Mark Stone, whatever. Jack Eichel. Was, I love Mark Stone, man. Me, me too, but Jack Eichel captured my attention more last night. Like, Mark, I mean, Jack Eichel was the guy I was more excited to it's, watch. It's because you're a Philistine. <laughs> Don't appreciate what Mark Stone can do. No, I am a big Mark Stone appreciator. I just. <laughs> just joking. No, I, whatever. Anyway, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> Anyways, say your last thing. Andre Kuzmenko is a genius. I'm not saying he's a great player. I think he's like a good player, but he's a genius. The way he sees the ice is brilliant, and he does four or five things a period that fill me with genuine glee. Like, I'm just like, what a pass. What a smart play. Oh, my God. How did you see that? Like, he sees the ice differently. He executes. It's 
fun to watch, and he fills me with a general general sense of like wonder. Unfortunately, a lot of those good plays end up on Ilya Mikheyev's stick and get bobbled, and then the puck's along the wall and the rush chance is over. I'd really like to see that line changed. I don't have a ton of time for Mikheyev with those two East-West guys, because I think Pedersen and Kuzmenko can operate on a totally different level than Mikheyev's North-South thing. But Kuzmenko fills me with absolute joy watching him just create. Just the way he sees the ice is Awesome. At least if you're, and we'll get to the lines here, but at least if you're going to use Pedersen in a matchup role, then I can understand putting Mikheyev there. Sure. Right? Because all of a sudden the parameters of what that line well, and, and is and probably to do change. Not, and probably not Kuzmenko. Sure. I can understand that, but it is a little odd now where you have your best, probably your best just straight up defensive forward other than Pedersen in Mikheyev not being played in a defensive role, not yep. being used, not being given a chance uh, right. to flex that part of his game. Well, especially because Horvat and Miller could use the help. You know, like maybe it's Horvat, Miller, McKayev. I mean, yeah. you know. So let's run through it. The forward group, not a ton of changes, although some interesting uh, changes. So the top line, Horvat, Miller, and from the press box to the first line, Niels Hoaglander at practice today, skating on the wing with Horvat and Miller. Patterson, Kuzmenko, McKayev remain together. someone make it make sense. Make Niels Hoaglander's deployment make sense. It's, it's, the, it's the Niels Hoaglander yo-yo. Just from the press box to... Any of well, four different lines in the lineup well, on a nightly well, basis. What I like about it is that it's usually from extreme to extreme. So it's like from the from the press box to the first line. Then he'll like not score or have one defensive miscue. And then it's the fourth line. And then it's the press box again. So it's like he starts at the top of the hill every time. It's like, you know what? You know what? He, you know what he is on? It's not like he, it's not a yo-yo. It's a ski lift. Yeah. Right, like he's taken directly to the peak, and then he or like, like the, skis uh, down really quick. What's the name of the yodeling guy in the Price is Right game? <laughs> yodels, yodels, oh, yodels yeah, yeah, off yeah. the okay. cliff and then falls off sure. at the end. Yeah. Hoaglander, the Ricola experience. Yes. Niels Hoaglander. Exactly. It's just, it's just, it would be like, we, we talk about the Kyle most, Burroughs. The most famous lozenge since uh, Alain Vigneault. Yeah. It, w- it would be... We talk about Kyle Burroughs not getting the lineup. It would be like if when he did get in the lineup, he was like on power play one. And then it's like, oh, no, now you're scratched. It's like, hold on a second. You were just using him in this key Except role. Except that is what happens with Kyle <laughs> Burroughs. It's just that not on the – it's not PP1. It's 23 minutes. Like, how much How much would Kyle Burroughs have played after the Canucks took a 4-2 lead last night? First choice guy out there, no doubt about it. How much better would he have performed than three or four of the guys in the lineup? Mm-hmm. You know, it's crazy, man. So, anyways – Horvat, Miller, Hoaglander, Patterson with Kuzmenko and Mikheyev, Garland, Lazar, and Besser on your third line, <laughs> Joshua, Oman, Pod Coles in your fourth line, Sheldon Dries, your extra. <laughs> this is absolutely not on Bruce Boudreau, in my opinion. I think Bruce Boudreau is a great coach. A great coach. I don't just think he's a good coach. I think he's a great coach. But I do not understand an awful lot of what, like, I cannot make, make heads or tails of it. I, I'm tempted to agree, but I think I can understand it, which is that Boudreaux is insane, incredibly frustrated right now, and he's just trying things, right? Isn't that doesn't that have to be the explanation? Yeah, but well, then why aren't you trying like Besser with Pedersen? Like it feels like I wish I could tell you if you were just throwing stuff against the wall, like wouldn't you try Miller, Pedersen, Besser? I don't know. Just a <laughs> no, line. that would never work. Yeah. Just a line That's that was, preposterous. Just trans. a line that was one of the NHL's best three years ago. Like, I don't know. Might be worth a look. Yeah, or Patterson, Kuzmenko, Besser, Horvat, Miller, Mikheyev, right? 
Like, get, there you go. Get Pedersen and Besser together with another playmaker and Andre Kuzmenko. I, I don't know. I, I I don't want to turn this into, you know, picking apart the lineup decisions. No, 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 no. Because I never it's pick so apart. far down, so You're far right. down the list of problems, and, and never pick apart lineup decisions when the roster's just not very good. That's that's my rule. Like, so often you'll see coaches, especially as a market gets frustrated with them, like Ottawa is with DJ Smith at the moment. And people are, you know, just like, why is Batherson on the second line? As if that's going to make a lick of difference. Right? Like, <laughs> it, anyway, yeah. it is what it is. I, it's a tough needle to thread because it's not as if. It's his, just his, not on him. His decisions aren't exempt from criticism. And no. I think it's fair to talk about and say, well, why are these guys together? It's not really working. What about this? What about this deployment? I think that's all fair. I just always want to put in kind of bold, large type next to it the caveat that it's not actually his fault. <laughs> Right, you know no. what I mean. It's you can talk about it, you can criticize it, you can ask why. What? Why is this happening? But also, it's uh, it's not actually uh, Bruce Boudreaux's fault. Yeah. And we, then as we, I have, s- we have like fifty-seven games of proof that no one can get more out of this roster than Bruce Boudreaux, and yeah. that still rules for me over my frustration about Niels Hoaglander's deployment. And then no changes on the blue line: Hughes, Shen, Oel, Bear, Stillman, Myers. Rathbone Burroughs, Travis Dermott there in a non-contact jersey. So, I don't know. Even after that performance, which, as we heard from Luke Shen, it's not about systems. It's not about talent. It's not about coaching. It's about compete. It's about battle. It's, it's about, about wanting let, it. It's about not letting Alex Pietrangelo make a snow angel in Thatcher Denko's crease. I, I mean, if I was... <laughs> If I was concerned about all of those things, I would be very tempted to bring Kyle Burroughs out of the press box and into the lineup. I just thought it was a little on the nose when Mark Stone had enough time to literally build a miniature snowman with the snow on the ice. Like, I just thought that was a little too much time and space in the slot for Mark Stone. I, You know, the fact that he went to the bench and grabbed a carrot for the nose of the snowman, I just thought, you know, that's... That's not acceptable. By the way, somebody somebody texted in, I cringe watching Mark Stone skate, but he is super effective. Can't argue with it. Not a great skater. Incredibly, incredibly effective. He's the Logan Thompson of wingers. There you go. I also like this one. Uh, and this is this is or I, the I've Kyle had... Burrows of top four defensemen. Uh, okay, let's <laughs> let's slow down there. I, I've had thoughts along this line. Unsigned. Uh, put Joshua with the Sedins, and he would have got twenty one year. Oh yeah, he I does mean, have that feel of a guy in a pinch. Where you're like, okay, we've got two really high skill no, but no. wingers or high, really really high skill forwards in a pinch. This guy has enough hands that he can keep up and not completely uh, kill what no, that line Ma- is doing. Mikhaev is the guy who could have gone up on that line and scored twenty. Dakota Joshua is the guy who could have spent ten days on that line, right, and scored seven goals, right? Like he's in the Byron Bits mold. Remember Byron Bits? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. And everyone was making the ballroom blitz jokes. It was awesome. Loved that. Loved that. And um, Tom Sestito as well. Tom Sestito. Tom Sestito played with the Twins a bit. He did. Under John Tortorella. So many great names. So many many guys to remember. Oh, man. The recent history. Uh, And you know what? And you know what? Remembering some guys is a good activity. It is, especially when the team is playing uh, like this right now. Somebody else texts in along along what we were saying. Uh, Picking apart lineup decisions is a task for those covering good teams, not producing. Correct. As you gentlemen mentioned, this is not applicable here. It's correct. Correct. Here's what I'll say. Look, we're Canucks talk. We're on for two hours a day. We're going to talk about the lineup decisions. Again, I want to acknowledge there's no magic lineup 
deployment that's all of a sudden going to transform the for- fortunes of the Canucks. Oh, no. Like, Boudreaux could roll out a lineup, and I could look at every single decision and say, I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's what I would have done. And I'm under no illusions about what effect or lack of effect it would have when they take the ice for the next game. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, put it this way. I think I think you could have NASA working on the optimal combination <laughs> Of of Canucks defense partners, and we you'd get them on that, and you'd still come up with a sub average result. Like legitimately, all, all of MIT working together in concert with like five of the brightest hockey minds in the world would still produce a sub average defense score. Uh, I would. I do want to hear from Bruce Boudreaux later in the show. He talked at length after practice today, uh, so we will hear was he that. In, was he in a better mood than he was well, uh, post game? We will find out because yeah, I was not in a great mood. Understandably so. Oh, I thought it was super fun. Understandably so last night. I uh, loved. I you know I miss sparring with a head coach. I miss it. I used to. I used to like look forward to sparring with uh, with Travis Green, who'd just like reject the premise of questions and be ornery. Like I, I enjoyed that. It was something to prepare for. I enjoyed it last night. In I think it was your question. You asked about the Miller line going up against Eichel, the Miller Horvat line. And he said he told me that I knew the answer. You already know the answer if you're asking me. So it's not even rejecting the premise. It's just acknowledging. And what did I premise? And what did I do there? What did you do after? I forget now. I I I think I was probably laughing and missed the last part of it. I immediately come back with, you switch that line. Why? Right. So it's like I basically just asked the same question in a different format. And then he got mad at Faber later in the thing. He he uh, got mad at Faber for asking about how they should regain control of the puck uh, after offensive possession. So I immediately asked him a question about offensive possession. <laughs> uh, see, I love that. Like that's my environment. I I want to be in an adversarial, a, a a collegial adversarial relationship is exactly what you want as a reporter with a head coach. Uh, we will see. We will see what the mood from Bruce Boudreaux was after practice today, a little bit later in the show. But up next, Harmon Dial from The Athletic joins the show. Uh, it is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz here. Final hour of the show will be joined momentarily by Harmon Dial from The Athletic as well. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net, 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And there is, uh, again, as I said, lots and lots and lots of feedback uh, coming in. Some about the lineup decisions that we were just talking about uh, in the last segment. Some just about the the Canucks predicament overall. This one from Bob and Victoria says, To assume that it's all on the players is delusional. Wake up, Jim and Patrick. It's on you. Bring in the talent. That's from Bob in Victoria. And I... There's a lot of blame. There's a lot of blame to go around here. I agree that you can't just focus on the the player's effort or the player's execution or whatever you want to say, but I also don't think you can excuse the players from contributing to this, right? Like, we talked about the lack of compete. We heard it from Luke Shen. It's a talent issue, but it's also the players not even... It's a talent issue, it's a construction issue, and it's also an issue of the players failing to live up 
uh, to the standard, a standard they should be able to achieve, right? Even if that standard's not near high enough, they're still not living up to that standard on a night by night basis here. What's the, uh, was John McKay? John McKay what? was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach who was asked, uh, Coach, what did you think of your team's execution? Oh, and responded, I'm in favor of I'm in favor of <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> Such a good quote. That is an absolute all-timer. Howitzer. <laughs> absolute all-timer. Uh, we'll try to connect with Harmon Dial here uh, in just a minute or two. Actually, I'm being told that we do have Harmon on the line. Uh, always pleased to be joined uh, by a contributor at The Athletic. Harmon, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We're doing pretty well. Uh, we're doing, uh, I think, better than than Bruce Boudreaux was last night after that after that <laughs> loss uh, to the Vegas Golden Knights. What did uh, what stood out to you? I mean, we've dissected it and you know talked a lot about what went wrong, and there's no shortage of options for the Canucks last night. But what stood out to you about that performance, Armin? Yeah, I mean, the blown lead is um, is obvious, and another instance where one thing goes wrong in the entire house kind of collapses that's kind of been the story of the Canucks season but beyond that because I think all of us can recognize and see that what was interesting to me and what I thought was less obvious but equally relevant and important was actually watching the first period because I think that was a 20-minute stretch where I actually thought the Canucks relative to their talent level and ability I thought they actually played all right in terms of they weren't making a bunch of mental mistakes. Their structure was fine. Um, it's not as if I could point to point to the Canucks players and say, wow, they're really underperforming. And yet, despite the fact that they were playing competent, relatively polished hockey by their standards, the Golden Knights were still able to, after about the five, six, seven minute mark, kind of overwhelm the Canucks with their speed. And that pace differential was just so apparent and it was yet another reminder that geez if the Canucks can play a pretty competent okay sort of period against a team like Vegas and still come out of that period outshot 17 to 8 like getting outplayed by that decisive of a margin despite like you couldn't look at that and say wow that was a d d grade sort of period for the Canucks specifically they were just overwhelmed by the speed and the pace, and it felt like Vegas was in a different tier. And I think that was really concerning to me because I was watching that period and going, well, if this is what they look like when the Canucks are actually competent, this is this could easily fall apart when they start to make some of the mistakes um, that they usually do in games. And, and that's what you saw over the second and, and obviously more specifically the third periods where then they started to unravel a little bit. But even just watching that first period when they were playing some of their better hockey and their passing was um, at least the first couple passes were decent and they were able to play with okay pace, it just still felt like Vegas was in a different tier. And that, to me, was just as concerning. JT Miller and Bo Horvat draw the matchup role against Jack Eichel, and we know it didn't go well. What can the Canucks do to better contain the top end of their opposition lineups, which feels pertinent considering they've got McKinnon, Eichel again, and then Timo Meyer and, and Tomas Hurdle on the horizon. I think it's time to give Pedersen a, a run um, at handling those tough matchups because whether 
Horvat centering the line or whether Miller is, it's clear at this point that neither one is kind of the answer in terms of shutting down opposition um, top lines. Patterson is far and away, especially considering the form he's shown this season, their best to a complete centerman. And especially the way that he's playing right now, he just looks like the sort of player, he's playing the best hockey of his career right now all around. It's not just the point totals. He's done it without sacrificing anything defensively or cheating for offense. He's going into a penalty killing role. I just think he's ready to kind of take that next step and level up and be the sort of player that you sort of tap on the shoulder and ask to go out and play against Connor McDavid or go out and play against Austin Matthews. I think he'd relish that, that opportunity. And I know, I think the reason we haven't seen that to date is because Boudreaux really doesn't have defensive trust in Kuzmenko at all. Um, I sort of asked Boudreaux about the idea of how he might handle his toughs and whistler in training camp. And Boudreaux said, hey, I trust Patterson, but until I have trust in Kuzmenko and until he really learns the game, I, I can't use that line in, t- in tough minutes. I think you, you kind of just have to bite the bullet. There are obviously you know defensive flaws in Kuzmenko's game, but you've also got Ilya Mikheyev on that line. And I think he's one of your better two-way wingers as well. So between Pedersen and Mikheyev, and especially with at least the offensive value Kuzmenko's been delivering, I think you've got to start rolling with that line and trusting them to defend against top players. Well, it is a little odd, uh, Harmon, because, you know, Mikheyev, other than Pedersen, probably the best defensive forward on the team. And so right now you have, you know, arguably your two best defensive forwards not being put in a role where they can really use that skill set. And look, if you don't want to have Kuzmenko to match up role, I can understand that. But I, I think you would at least have to consider maybe moving moving Mikheyev with Horvat and Miller, getting one of those guys in a spot where they can go up against uh, top competition on a nightly basis. Definitely. And I think it's also becoming clear that Boudreaux kind of made the adjustment where he took Garland off that top line and put Besser on it. I, I just don't think with Miller and Besser that there's enough speed there, that there's enough skating to, you know, combat mm. the, the speed that other teams play at. Um, because we saw it earlier in the season as well when um, Miller was playing center and Besser started on that line with Pearson as well. That line just felt so slow trying to uh, match up against uh, top competition. And they, there was reason to think that they could excel as a trio. But when you're pinning them up against the best players in the world, there's just Besser and Miller. I feel like you can't ask them to play against top lines considering together, considering their pace. So, yeah, I mean, even if you're not going to play, um, you know, use the Pedersen line in that sort of role, I, I do think that you could consider moving Mikheyev up, especially because, that Pedersen line has in general been producing offensively, but I think that's more about the chemistry that Pedersen and uh, Kuzmenko have than it is about Mikheyev's uh, role in driving the offense. I don't think it would be too disruptive um, to kind of, you know, consider moving him up the lineup as well. Just, just before we move off the topic of Elias Pedersen, he's having a phenomenal season. As you said, maybe playing the best hockey of his career on pace for over 90 points, fantastic two way results, albeit not in a matchup role. How frustrating should it be for the Canucks organization that they're getting this type of performance from a young star player, and yet they are where they are in the standings after 19 games? They should be really frustrated. And, I mean, there was a point earlier when the team was kind of, I want to say around 2018 or 2019, where, um, I've got to be honest, I looked at the sort of lack of direction that the last administration had 
And I would look at Bo Horvat, and I would never say this out loud because I didn't want to get, um, or I wouldn't say it publicly because I didn't want to get crushed, but the biggest concern I had in my mind was, are they going to waste Bo Horvat's best seasons? And now that we're, we've progressed a few years later, it's clear that the Canucks um, have wasted Horvat's prime seasons. And now the question, the, the big sort of red flag that I have, the thing that keeps me up uh, and that what should keep the Canucks up at night is Pedersen's playing this well. And, and are you realistically going to be able to construct a top-end team in his prime? Because it would be such a waste to have Pedersen and Hughes as your, your building blocks to have a franchise centerman, to have a number one defenseman, the best defenseman this franchise has ever seen, and to not be able to com- contend in their primes, it, it would have seemed unfathomable a few years ago, and yet that's the sort of situation the Canucks are in if they can't um, chart a decisive path and, and get this thing back on, on track. So for me, it's not even just about what he's done this season. Um, which I think a lot of people saw coming after the second half that he had last season, but it's about the bigger picture and it's about next season, the year after, the year after. And um, the last thing you'd want is for this organization to have wasted Elias Pettersson's prime. Is there a possibility that's already baked in Harmon? I mean, he's 23. Is this team going to contend by the time he's 26? Like, uh, is that not already baked in? It definitely might be, especially if you're um, Might far... be. What's the yeah, path? I mean, What's the path to contending before Patterson leaves the statistical prime? Uh, miracle worker cloning Quinn Hughes. Um, I don't know. I, mean, look, <laughs> I want a better plan than that, Harmon. It's, you're bang on. and I mean, it depends, I guess, on how long you would define his prime, right? Because if the question is, 26 then no there's no way like, like let's be honest they're not going to well, well, how would you top. define his prime well statistic in terms of a statistical prime yes if we're talking about 26 27 i i don't see a path a realistic one where they're going to be an elite team contending for a stanley cup but there are obviously instances where elite players through you know their age 27 28 29 seasons they can maintain some of their um, peak performance, even if they're 90 or 95% of the player, sure. player that they are. So in that instance, if the conversation is about, could you still take advantage of those years? I, I, I think that could maybe be up in the air. If, if he buys into the, if he buys into the idea of a rebuild and the, or if the organization organization actually commits to one, but yeah, if we're talking about a statistical prime age 26, um, three years from now, then I mean, I, I don't, I don't see a path for how the Canucks can become a, an elite team that quickly. I mean, by the time Pedersen gets to twenty six, twenty seven, like realistically, if this team could turn around in three, four years, right? Do you think there's a possibility that you know maybe Hughes and Pedersen fit on the next great Canucks team, but they might not be the best players on it? Yeah, I think that that might be you know more of. Um, you know, more of a possibility to consider, especially because the the thing to keep in mind with Pedersen and Hughes is they're really, really high-end players, but I think it's also what, you know, I guess Pedersen's starting to prove it, but for a full season, we're still not talking about players that are, like in Pedersen and Hughes' cases, they're not top five players at their position, right? Like they're 
you know, franchise players, but they're not like, we're not talking about Connor McDavid and Kale McCarr, right? Like these are, and when you think about the elite talent, the superstar talent that's needed um, to get over the top. I mean, I look at a team like the Carolina Hurricanes, despite the fact that they have pieces like Sebastian Ajo and Jacob uh, Slavin, the question for them has, has always been in past postseason, do they have enough of that, Super superstar talent, like the McDavid, McKinnon, Matthews, McCarr tier type of distinguishing talent to win a Stanley Cup. Like that's been the open question, despite how well, um, despite how elite Aho and and Slavin are. So the question then is, you know, when Pedersen and Hughes are in their you know late late twenties. I mean, I, I don't think we we see a scenario where the games are all of a sudden falling off a cliff. But even then, you still have to wonder. Is, is that ceiling high enough um, for them to kind of be their, their best players? And, and even if the answer is yes, like maybe the answer is yes, like they still can be. Mm. But if that's the case, you would need a ton of, of star talent um, around them, right? Like they're not going to be – like you can't expect that those guys are going to be around going to be around, and that they're going to be able to kind of drag this um, team along with – only an above-average core, if that makes sense. In conversation with uh, Harmon Dial from The Athletic here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. And Harmon, I know you had a piece uh, in uh, collaboration with Kevin Woodley about Thatcher Demko at The Athletic this week. And obviously he has been under the microscope. You know, Drance and I talked about it earlier in the show. I I think Thatcher Demko was not one of the Canucks' main problems against Vegas last night. But obviously he also has not been up to his standard uh, this season, his very, very high standard do you see signs that he's starting to turn the corner and get back to where uh, we all expect Thatcher Demko to get back to it's tough because of course in the LA game he stopped 36 to 37 and in that game he had a few bounces go his way as well as well which is sort of needed to when a player is struggling get out of a slump whether it's a skater who's trying to who's trying to get back to scoring goals or a goaltender we, Demko in that LA game had a couple of crossbars that um, that stayed out. He had, he had the fortune of a couple quick whistles on plays that LA probably should have had the rebound and been a, been able to to score on. So I looked at that game and I went, that could potentially be a building block, right? And for the first two periods, Demko is phenomenal, especially in that second period. Vegas was creating rush chances at will. Um, they even had some lateral plays which Demko was really sharp on. But, of course, on the last two goals, I think, where where his game started to unravel a little bit, obviously the mental mistake and trying to play the puck up the middle and then mm. not able to seal his post, um, and then getting beat by Petrangelo five-hole as well, the question would be, would those last two goals kind of unravel maybe the confidence that he was starting to, starting to build in his game? I think the fact that, preceding the, this Vegas game, he'd only had, like, he was really only building off of one game, right? It's not as if um, he was coming off of four or five decent starts where you might be able to flush a period um, like the one he had against Vegas and kind of just forget about it. Um, I I do kind of worry a little bit if that's the sort of thing that could set him back because, yeah, I mean, he had put together five pretty decent periods before that, but for it to kind of implode in the way it did, especially with the team losing in that type of fashion, it's going to weigh a ton on Demko. And I do worry if that kind of brings him back to square one, square one in, ter- in terms of trying to reset his game. 
Armin, when you think about how this season has unfolded, what about this Canucks team has surprised you the most based on your priors going into the season? Mm -hmm. And what do you think you had sort of nailed down? Like what has, what, what's the biggest surprise? What's the thing that's played out exactly as you expected it? That's a good question. Um, I think biggest surprise, I mean, I expected that the penalty kill would struggle. I didn't think that they had necessarily solved it just by bringing in Ilya Mikheyev, but I would have been lying if I thought that we would, we would be talking about another historically bad um, bad PK after bringing in Lazar and, and Mikheyev. Again, I expected them to be bottom third in the PK, in the PK but just the way that it started and to have it be operating at around a 60 sort of whatever uh, uh, percentage pace that it was through the first 15 games or so before it stabilized the last few games, I looked at that and it was just so astonishing because the power play, I think we all expected it to be elite. And it was just so odd looking at a power play that was click, clicking at like 30%. And yet you, and yet when you combined it with um, the penalty kill, it's like the Canucks were a combined 90% on special teams, despite having a power play that was like top three or four in the NHL. Like I didn't expect the special team situation to be that dire, especially because I was already banking on them kind of having an elite power play. So the PK being this awful that early was definitely um, surprising to me. I think in terms of what, um, what I maybe expected uh, or, I mean, in terms of, I guess, surprise, that would be outside of Thatcher Demko, right? Like, we just talked about, him, yeah. I think, him getting off to that rough start. Like, um, I think Demko's form is, is maybe, now that I think about it, obviously the biggest surprise. But beyond Demko, I think it goes into it goes into the PK's performance in terms of the surprise. And then in terms of what I, like, maybe expected, I think, you know, obviously this is something that you talked about a lot too, Drancer, but in this, in this when they had the Boudreaux bump run, they were blessed with not just good goaltending, but best in the league goaltending. Yeah. Like to hear Patrick Alvin talk about it, um, he was mentioning that from December onward, in his eyes, that the Canucks had the best um, goaltending in the NHL. So I think what I maybe expected was that the Canucks' defensive flaws in terms of how they defend in front of the net, how they defend off the rush, like. I expected that that would be more of a talking point, that that those issues would be exposed a little bit more, if you know once the goaltending regressed from out of this world outstanding to good or great or above average. And I think you know that's even with that sort of drop off, I expected that the Canucks were going to have issues keeping the puck out of the back of their net. And I thought that this was going to be a, another season where we'd be talking about can they outscore their defensive issues. Um, so I did expect defensive regression for sure. Like I didn't think that they would be able to maintain the kind of goals against pace that they um, had under Boudreaux uh, over the final two thirds of the season. But obviously the big surprise there is that Demko not only regressed from elite at five on five to um, just good or great. He went straight from elite to um, in terms of his all situations play um, being pretty underwhelming. So um, I think it's, it's pretty I think uh, funny how those those two kind of connect in terms of um, what you may be expected in terms of the defensive regression um, and those faults being exposed more often mm. and, you know, having these discussions about structure and net front defense and while wow, they allow so many odd man rushes, 
um, and how that kind of also ties into the big surprise in that now the goaltending hasn't been able to paper those issues over like a lot of us uh, maybe thought it would to at least some extent. Harmon, great stuff as always, man. We'll chat again soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Harmon. Harmon Dial, of course, also covering the Canucks athletic. Great Luke Shen feature, by the way. I was just about to plug Were the you? Luke Shen feature. Yes, I have it open right now. Sorry, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really and, good work. Well, it, the subject of it is something that I find fascinating and really engaging, which is Luke Shen's career trajectory from fifth overall pick, you know, supposed to be the a foundational piece for the Toronto Maple Leafs to almost out of the league and then now kind of beloved veteran presence on the Vancouver Canucks. I, I just find that story really, really interesting, and it's a great feature up right now I, from Harmon Dyer. I had a really good chat with Luke Shen where I told him that he'd been the same player his entire career, like I, over in Ottawa. I was like, you know, when I was 12, <laughs> you were a third-pair defenseman, you know, who's like good physical guy, and you're still that. <laughs> It's kind of amazing, man. It, he he just told me he just told me that he was able to age more gracefully than most because the first thing that should go is your speed, but you can't lose it if you never <laughs> had it. <laughs> you know, there's there's something to that. <laughs> Actually, I don't think he's entirely off uh, about that. If you have other skills, some of them age a lot better than speed does. Anyways, yeah, go check out the. Uh, the Luke Shen feature by Harmon Dial up at The Athletic right now because it is fantastic and certainly one of the most interesting uh, and I think easy to root for member of the members of the Canucks in Luke Shen right now. Final segment of the show coming up. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux, what he had to say after the team's latest practice today and take some of your questions in the inbox as well. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back, Sportsnet 650 Canucks Talk. Final segment of the show. Get your texts in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I also want to tell you uh, that Sportsnet 650 has partnered with Match Eatery and Public House for Sportsnet 650 Sunday at Cascades Casino in Delta. Join Bick, Randeep, and the Sportsnet 650 squad on Sunday, December 4th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. for all your marquee matchups. Match Eatery and Public House offers the social traditions of a neighborhood pub with the high energy of a sports bar. Stop by for a chance to win a smart speaker. You can grab some Sportsnet 650 swag, talk sports with the crew, Plus, we'll have a pair of Canucks tickets and a pair of tickets to the December 11th Seahawks game to give away. Match Udrian Public House located at the new Cascades Casino next to the Massey Tunnel. The first prize is Canucks tickets. Or, sorry, the second prize is Canucks tickets. The first prize is two Canucks tickets. <laughs> Settle down. <laughs> Settle down. <laughs> hey, you got, what, what more could you want than, uh, no, no, than hanging out with us and talking sports? It's super fun. So, uh, so great. Seriously, I can't wait to be there. I'm not going to be there, um, <laughs> but it sounds like an awesome time. And I will say this: that Canucks game yesterday was great entertainment. No, no shortage of entertainment. I had a blast. The third period was truly wild. Uh, it's been a while since I had that much fun watching a hockey game. Like uh, after the road trip, I was really dispirited. I think about this team. I was like, oh boy, sixty more games to go, which is fine. You know, it's a job. Like I'm happy to do my job. I'm not complaining. I uh, I just you know I love hockey. Like, I love hockey. Mm -hmm. And after that road trip, I was like, oh, boy, this is going to be work. So I was pleasantly surprised 
relieved when I went to the game and had such a good time and enjoyed so many different individual performances, even while the team-level performance from the Canucks was exceptionally frustrating. Uh, let's hear from Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux. The team was back on the ice at practice today at Rogers Arena. Boudreaux spoke at length after that practice as, as the team gets ready for uh, a road trip starting tomorrow night in Colorado. Here is Bruce Boudreaux. Well, I, I think, uh, again, we focused a little bit about positioning in the D zone, and and uh, that was the main thing. A little bit about what Colorado does in the neutral zone and how to break that. And uh, But we didn't want to be out there for an hour today. We just did a half an hour, and hopefully it was upbeat and uh, the message was good, and they got it, and they'll be ready for tomorrow. A couple of guys in the dressing room talked about needing to do their own job and not try to do too much or try to help their teammates. Is that what you're seeing as well in terms of? Well, that's what happens when you, you duplicate. And what I mean by that is two guys on one guy and, and instead of letting him do his job. And that's one of the things where when we did that drill where we stopped in our own zone, it was it's all about doing the right thing and not chasing and uh, chasing the play instead of having the play come into the five guys and being tight rather than spreading out. When you spread out and then all of a sudden they throw the puck in the blue paint, it's uh, it's difficult, and that's where we're getting beat in the blue paint. How big a part of that is needing to have trust in your teammate that he's going to do his job and you can do your own? Well, I, I think that's a, a big part. You know, I mean, I mean, the the groups have been together long enough that they should have trust in their partner. Uh, the line, lines have moved around a little bit, but we played in duos most of the year, and, and uh, uh, they should know uh, and trust each other. So, I mean, uh, I'm hoping they do. I mean, uh, I can't read their minds sometimes. Yeah, I wasn't playing in, in Carolina, obviously, Bruce, and he said he, they played a different system there, and, of course, same as Stillman. Should that adjustment period be over for those guys? I would hope so. You think so? Mm-hmm. Is Dermot joining you on this trip? I don't even know. He's not playing, but I don't know if he's joining us. But I, I, I think they are. I, I think that they have uh, something scheduled in Vegas, so I think they want the whole team there. Versus the challenge, playing aggressive in your own end, making it t- difficult for guys to get in the blue paint anywhere near it, but also staying within themselves and playing their system. Are you seeing that issue with your guys? Well, I mean, playing within themselves is always one thing. I mean, you don't want, um, say, Luke Shen trying to deke out four guys in your own zone and going, and he does it simply. He just gets it, and he moves the puck, and he knows what his limitations are. Uh, some guys try to do too much, and I think they, this group tries to do too much because they want everything to work out well and, and just uh, understanding the process of what happens if you just... Do your job, do it right, and usually good things good things happen after that. Neil's Hutmeyer skating with JT and Bo again. What, what makes that line successful when Neil's, what does he have to do? Well, we don't know. We haven't seen it being successful yet. So, I mean, and these lines today, you know, uh, I would put them together just so you don't read anything crazy into it. They might all be changed tomorrow, but Lazar hadn't played center, and I wanted him to get a few reps at center, and when he when he does that, uh, then all of a sudden it has to move a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts that, that go with it. It's just not one one guy going in. Somebody has to go in his his line. Somebody has to uh, move forward on another line. So uh, that's what I was thinking. But uh, the whole point was just to, to let Curtis have some reps at center because he was a former center and 
you know, we love him, what he's doing on the wing, but if he gets a chance to play center, I want to see what he's doing. What do you want to see from guys, Bruce, who are, are kind of tweeners? Like, they're, they're not Quinn Hughes, they're not big guys. Guys like Stillman and Barry. What are you expecting from them? I think the most the, the, the most important part is simplicity, and if we don't notice them, that's a really good game. Elias Pedersen has been playing such a strong two-way game. He's been very good on the penalty kill. Is there a thought towards using him more in the defensive zone, using him more in a matchup role? Well, I mean, if you use him more in the defensive zone, I mean, one of his greatest assets is his offensive capabilities. But, I mean, uh, the other part is he's still he can improve on face-offs, and we don't want him just to be a defensive stalwart. He, he's been doing great on uh, in his own zone, but, like, I mean, uh, you know, we use Bo, who's our best centerman, uh, at face-offs in our own zone. So, I mean, I just uh, I think that makes more sense. But, I mean, Petey's done everything we've asked of, asked of him and more. I mean, uh, uh, defending and um, offensively, there's not too many like him, I think. Puzzles you the most, Bruce, about this club because we see sports. We, we we play really good hockey. We see the the team that played so well for you at the end of last season. Then we see the continual red dots. What puzzles you the most right now? What pleases me the puzzles most? You. Puzzles me that that we don't really know it's a sixty minute game yet. We still think it's fifty minutes long, um, uh, and the breakdowns and the. The, I think what we need is we got to get mentally tough when we've got those leads because it's been frustrating when you know when you've blown seven third period leads and good teams maybe blow one two in the course of a year that 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 would mean you know uh, we'd have 12 wins 13 wins right now and uh, well, that would put us everybody be saying things differently about us but it's it's not but. Uh, if we ever ever can can find that um, that potion that that cure and and defending the lead and and then I, I think you'll see us winning an awful lot of games. There's, I mean, I think the Buffalo five-one loss. Um, uh, there might be another one in there that we weren't in from the beginning. But every other game we've been right there till the end. Even the the Boston game, I thought uh, we played really well and. Um, maybe the Montreal game at the end was the other one, but I mean, uh, so we just got to find that, you know, that little bit. I, I don't think it's fifty percent better, but if we're ten percent better, and in a lot of these situations, which I truly believe we can get to, I, I think we'll be, we can still got lots of time to be successful. A lot of guys talked about being excited to play this defending Stanley Cup champions. How good is that for your group to have that type of challenge right now? <laughs> uh, I'd really rather be playing a junior team. <laughs> no, it's a great challenge. I mean, and I tell them it's a great challenge. And it, you either can do one of two things. You can fear the challenge or, or you can embrace it. And doing things that people don't think you can do has been my greatest thrill uh, personally. And, and I try to relay it to the team. Is If people don't think you can do it and you do it, it's way more satisfying uh, than than just accepting it as a norm. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau after practice today. <laughs> hoping to play a junior hoping team. Hoping to play a junior team, he says, tongue-in-cheek, but also, you know, telling the team about the challenge that – the challenge and also the opportunity of playing the defending Stanley Cup champions. Well, and, represents. I mean, you don't think we can play a junior team? Bruce Boudreau gets a thrill from showing you that he can do things you don't think they can do. 
He's going to figure it out. He's going to figure out a way to do it. Yeah, he's going to lobby the schedule makers, get a junior team on the well, schedule. You know, I mean, you were saying you would um, you would expect them to win one of these two games, uh, Colorado and Vegas. I would. We've talked about the, the the legendary right Colorado game from last year that the team still recalls oh and God. talked about over and over again, over and over again. Maybe maybe they're able to replicate that. Maybe it's the first time we see it this year. Well, Maybe I mean, it's something about going to Colorado and playing the Avs. I mean, they'd best they'd best find a way to replicate it, considering how large it's loomed in the imagination of the organization. You know, I mean, you. Anyway, you know what? That game's though. Like people forget, the team had just traded Tyler Mott, right? They'd lost at the tail end of that road trip or that homestand. They lost to Detroit. They lost to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Right? They got bludgeoned by Anaheim, right? Like, it really did feel like the end of the Bruce There It Is era, right? Like, hey, great run. It's going to fall short, and now that's clear. And then they go into Colorado, and they start Yaroslav Halak, the first game after the deadline. Like, every, I mean, the spread might as well have been set at, like, plus three and a half, and most of the action would have been on Colorado. Honestly. So I think that's part partly why it looms so large. It was this moment that felt like the Canucks maybe could still surprise people. Uh, they didn't, but it was fun to the end. Uh, 650, 650, this unsigned text comes in along those lines, really. Boudreaux sounds like a lame duck coach. Why are the players doing this to him? They played so hard for him last year. What changed? I don't get it and look I mean you as you say you lay out the details of that Colorado performance last year right and it felt like the boost had finally let up okay we're seeing what this team is now and it's it's going to be a bit of a slog to the end of the season then it wasn't and it's obviously different circumstances but I think it's the same in that it feels like everyone is just waiting for something bad to happen again right and everyone you know as, as the texture says Boudreaux sounds like a bit like a lame duck coach we all see we all saw the reaction on TV from Jim Rutherford and and management after the Mark Stone goal that was eventually disallowed. We've all heard the comments uh, from Jim Rutherford. It feels like the fuel for the players to rally around the coach is there in the same way that they did, they were able to last season, but it just has not happened. Austin and Langley text in, the biggest takeaway from the Bruce clip uh, is that the boys are going to have some fun in Vegas. Yes, as Bruce alluded to, Travis Dermott, he expects to make the trip, even though he's not going to play uh, because the team has uh, an activity of some sort planned when they're on the road in Las Vegas, which I'm sure will top be very, very fun. Yeah, it's top golf. It's super wholesome. Um <laughs> I don't understand the surprise. Like, they played super hard for this guy last year. What changed? I mean, they played super hard for Travis Green in the bubble in really trying circumstances until they didn't. Then the next year they didn't. And I would honestly say I don't know that the effort level ever really faded. It's just that they seem to be checked out as a group. It's tough because... you learn to lose. You can learn to lose. You can learn to win. You learn bad habits. You learn good habits. Organizational culture self-perpetuates. You have people like the Sedin twins around. People are going to come in and play hard for Willie Desjardins, regardless of who he is. You know, it's it's bigger than Travis Green. It's bigger than Bruce Boudreaux. Honestly, it's bigger than Jim Benning. It's bigger than Jim Rutherford. And it's tough because there's actually been... It's all leadership, man. There haven't been that many nights where I've necessarily thought it was effort. 
right? I've talked about the Buffalo game. Last night was another one that stands out it's, for me. It's never unacceptable. It's sometimes unacceptable, okay, but it's not but that, it's usually not, it's unacceptable. Not night in, night out. Wow, they're loafing out there. It's just that this is not cat. So, so let me let me say this. I haven't come in many days, and I don't think I think what you're alluding to is we haven't come in many days and been like, wow, they gave up on that play, or but they, they you, didn't block that shot, or whatever. But would you describe this as a hardworking team? No, probably not. Probably not. No. The the level is let, not like let, where it's let the us first know. thing you're talking about. Let us know. If you want to defend this team as a hardworking team, text in to the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber inbox. I bet you we get very few people no, I don't think stumping so. for them. Stumping for them in the Dunbar Lumber. And that stumping. was... Would you believe you're it? So, you're so proud of yourself. <laughs> Would you believe it? Going out on a limb here. Oh, my god! Not a lot of people are going to stump oh my for the Canucks can in we, the Dunbar can Lumber. We end 10 minutes early <laughs> here. <laughs> wrap this up. <laughs> wrap this right up. But you're right. It's not the first thing that comes to mind as a problem, typically. But then there are some times where it really rears its head, and you notice it. And I thought the the lack of clearing the net front last night was a huge example of that. Mm. But it's it's very rare that you look at it and say, wow, that was a, an incredible effort. That right. was incredible hardworking performance from the team tonight. You, you don't see those highs, you know, even if you don't always see the lows. Anyone in, in the inbox vouching uh, for this as a hardworking team? Not yet. <laughs> not yet. We'll no? see. We will anyone, see. Anyone branching out <laughs> to defend this team? Uh, Lucas from Maple Ridge says, morale is huge. What happened was the team played well for Bruce, but management did not extend him. The players see the situation. For how no, it is, you're the letting the players off way too ice. easy. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Colin from Caribou says, nothing changed other than the new coach bump wore off. And then he says in all caps, they are who we thought they were. That's from Colin from Caribou. And look, new coach bumps do wear off, right? That's, you know. The, they also the, don't usually extend they don't for, usually 57 last for 57 games. games. But the Canucks aren't the first team that's got, that have got a really nice bump in play from hiring a new coach. Nope. So. I think there's something to that, that it was just inherently always going to be temporary and ephemeral, and then they would come back down as these things go. Maybe. I mean, I, I just think it all comes down to leadership. It all comes down to, like, organizational leadership and standards, right? And I just think there's something – I worry that there's something broken between the organization and its players. And I think that extended – the moment they went into the bubble for two months <laughs> – and won and outperformed all expectations and then all of the important leaders walked that offseason I think that was a rupture and I just don't know that the organization's ever really gotten back on track in terms of you know first of all I think losing guys like Tanev and Markstrom mm -hmm. who played with Henrik and, and Daniel those hurt. names are coming in a lot right yeah. now yeah I think I think that hurt a lot but also I think there's like um you know, again, this is something I saw in Florida where the team made the playoffs and then Gallant got fired the next year. And it was like there was a damage in trust between players and organization that, you know, I think led in, in some ways, although it wasn't as decisive as the club failing roundly to surround their elite core with good supporting pieces. And I think there's a similar story that's been told in Vancouver. Um, you know, I do still think that lack of trust between the organization and its players took years to come back from. I think that's what we're experiencing here. Uh, we've got a lot of people weighing in on the uh, the hardworking question in a lot of different ways. Uh, this one, uh, Pedersen is clearly hardworking. That's Dave from East Van. No debate there. Pedersen is working really, really hard every night now. We saw the save. We saw. We see it. We don't need to go through the plays. We all see that Elias Pedersen uh, is working very hard. Uh, this one, Glenn and Richmond says, it's hard work defending this team. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is is definitely sorry, true. Sorry, sorry, not for their opposition. No, for its fans. <laughs> that's true. That's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, Matt in Toronto says they work very hard to blow leads. <laughs> it takes a lot of work <laughs> to look this bad. We got a lot of joke answers. A lot. Oh no, good. That's lines, our listeners, which is very fun. Uh, which is very. Do we very get fun. any wood puns? Uh, somebody said you're all bark, Drance. Ah, I like that. Yes, That's good. With Very the, good. The, uh, all cry, bark, no bite. With the crying laughing uh, emoji. Well, you know, tell that person they're a sap. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Bob and Victoria says, yes, they're hardworking for 20 minutes. And, and we heard Boudreaux again lament. The, yep. You know, they, they're not aware that the uh, that the game is 60 minutes. They so, still so, seem to think it's 50 minutes. Anyway, that's the worst thing you can say about a group of athletes. That, like, as a team, the people who watch the most closely and root for them the hardest – watch them and, and generally don't feel that this is a very hard-working team. That, that's not on Boudreaux. That's not on Travis Green. That's a bigger problem. Yeah, well, we heard it. And it, again, we played the Shen clip from earlier, right? And that's straight from a player who's inside that room, who's seeing it, who's saying, it's just, we're getting outworked. We're just getting outworked. We're getting outcompeted. We're not tough enough. We're not strong enough in the in the important areas, right? And you heard Bruce Boudreaux, and I've lost count now of the number of times that Boudreaux has been asked about an issue with the team's play and directly referenced the amount of time they spend working on it in practice and, the, and his frustration that, yes, we spend a lot of time working on it in practice, but for whatever reason, it just never seems to actually translate into the games. And we heard another example, not quite in the same tone, but, you know, yeah, we're, we're working on defensive zone coverage. We're, work on, we're working on not getting beat in the blue paint. And if you're having to constantly reinforce something as basic like that, like spend your limited practice time on, hey, guys, we got to protect the area directly in front of our goalie. If, if your players constantly need reminding of that, that's that's on the players. That's not on the coaching staff. That is on the players if they need to be reminded of that on a regular basis. Well, and you need someone who everyone's afraid of in the room. You know, like, ultimately you need the guy or the person or the leader who if you're not, like, it's not your ice time you're worried about. It's not going on waivers that you're worried about. You're worried about the guy who's going to chew you out in the locker room at intermission. Like, it has to be an internal, has to be an internal standard if you're going to have the sort of winning habits that matter. And and it's not that you're even afraid of the guy chewing you out. It doesn't have to be that leadership style. I don't think Henrik and Daniel went about chewing other people out. But there'd be a sense that you let them down mm-hmm. if you didn't perform up to a certain standard. They, they would be the, uh, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed effect. Which, which is, we all know, way extremely worse. powerful. Way worse. Extremely powerful. Far worse. Far uh, worse than a bark. By the way, we've, <laughs> we've had a couple people text in that, yes, they are hardworking. Uh, hardworking for Connor Bedard. Liam in Calgary <laughs> texting that in. Oh, that's hopeful. Well. That's hopeful. Yeah, the transcendent Lynn Valley super sniper hanging over this entire thing. They're just not close. They're not going to be close. They're not going to be top five odds for Connor Bedard. I'm sorry. Yeah, I wouldn't bet on that. I, I would not bet on that either. Uh, this text comes in. Is it just me or is the team's good 20 minutes usually not even that good either? The bar is low. I think the that's bar is incredibly fair. low. That's, I was thinking about that. You know, we're talking about the inconsistency. Well, if they'd won, think about it this way. If they'd held that lead or even if they'd blown it and then come back and won in a shootout, mm-hmm. okay, which is like absolutely not a win. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not, right? It's a tie. With a one coin flip. With a coin flip, yeah. Okay. If we'd come in and had the conversation we had today, the amount of people in the text box being like, three in a row. But, like, it wouldn't matter. They didn't play well. 
Mm-hmm. They really didn't. And I think I think that's a really good point about the 20 minutes not even being that good. I was thinking, you know, we think about this team a lot. We talk about it in terms of inconsistency, right? Oh, they're not able to do it consistently. You often hear that that word applied to teams that, you know, when they look good, they look really good. But then it just falls apart for whatever reason. Even when the Canucks play, and it seems like they're playing better than, you know, they do on a lot of nights – Again, it's not that impressive. <laughs> it's not as if they're hitting this really high bar and they just do it inconsistently. Even the high points are not that good, and they're still not able to hit it on a consistent uh, on a consistent basis. This person texted, "I've seen a higher bar at an elementary track meet in high in high jump." Our listeners are getting punchy here at the end of the show. I, I enjoy it. So, I, I very so much we, enjoy it. Should we make? But you know like, what I mean? Sh- like, it, sh- it, should, it, should we make like the Dunbar Lumber text inbox and leave? And- I thought you were going to say split, oh, like you would split wood. That's good. Yes. I like that. Good job. Well done, Lumberjack Jamie. That's me. Hey, I'm, I often wear flannel. Not do, not wearing it today. Yeah, that's true. You do I often should. wear flannel, my I'm, goodness. I'm a big flannel guy. Me too. The amount of times, I, and big, we're both big Henley guys too. Yes. There's a lot of days we show up wearing the same outfit. It's actually quite embarrassing. I also, I do have, I have the best sweater game at Sportsnet 650 as well. I've leaned into my dad's sweaters. I don't know, man. How dare you? I don't know. How dare you? I'm not giving you that. I'm offended. Uh, I'm legitimately offended. I'm going to have to really... Uh, yeah, you're gonna I'm going to have to lay it on the line. I think you're going to have to up your sweater yes, game. Yes, I'm going to have to up my sweater game to prove you wrong. 100%. Uh, on that note... <laughs> We will end the show today. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, it's another Canucks game day. They play Colorado. We're a, oh! hard, we're a hard-working show. We are uh, We are on an hour early tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Thanks for letting me know. there is a, <laughs> as you might have heard, there's a major sporting event uh, happening. The World Cup. And Canada's and playing. And we're on during and one of the, the great, game. great moments of counter-programming. Watch out. Watch out. You can't say the WC. Can't we'll, say we'll be doing, uh, we will be doing our... Uh, our, our least relevant show ever when Canada plays their big match tomorrow. We will be on the air. So if you if you hate soccer and you want to listen to some hockey talk, we're your source. We tomorrow. got it. We got it covered. We got you covered tomorrow. Uh, we'll be on the air. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650.